Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Thanks for that. Okay. Is that it? Anything else you need? No? Okay. Cool. Uh, we're, uh, no, let me start this. Um, I spent uh, some time travelling down in Melbourne. Every now and then I travel down there. And then when you travel down to Melbourne, of course, you've got to travel home. It's one of the things about travelling to Melbourne. Um, I drive down occasionally. And on the way home, every now and then, I feel like I get to this space. Um, and if you know Melbourne at all, Cemetery Road and Royal Parade. Oh, there's a few. <laughs> now, when you get to Cemetery Road and Royal Parade, it always tends to catch up with me. Or, you know, because you come around the sweeping left-hand bend and you can go straight across. It will take you down past the zoo and out onto Flemington Road. Or you can turn right uh, out onto Royal Parade. Now, the thing about this is that as I was driving, I was in the middle lanes and I realised I needed to turn right. And as I went to turn right the traffic lights turned red. The thing about turning into Royal Parade is this stupid design that they have with all my engineering experience. I know some of you have been really impressed with my science knowledge that I've brought over the last 12 months. My engineering experience, for whatever reason, um, and if you're an engineer, please don't come and explain it to me. Um, But you turn right at a cemetery road and you can either go straight up the middle here or you've kind of got to miss this island up the middle of the road to go on the left-hand side of the road. And as I get there, I think, oh, if I get into the middle of this road, am I going to be able to get across to turn left to get out on the freeway again? But if I get into the left-hand side of the road, am I going to be able to get into the middle if I need to get back into the middle again? It's very confusing. I'm a pretty simple guy. Like, so there's a lot of things happening I was in the middle lane of Cemetery Road and all of a sudden I thought, I need to turn right here. I turned right. The fine suggested I didn't beat the red light camera. (laughs) Um, And look, honestly, I was embarrassed. I was frustrated. I was annoyed. Uh, at the fine, at the fact that I didn't beat the camera, but it didn't stop me writing a letter asking for leniency Um, because my excuse was I was a simple guy. Um, And I was certain I could be let off once I explained my confusion. Uh, I had to pay the fine. Some time ago, I parked on Ward Street down in uh, Horsham, down near, um, well, I was going out for coffee, actually, if you must know, um, which will be a surprise to you. Um, And I used the Easy Park app. I couldn't, uh, this was, um, you know, who, does does anyone use the Easy Park apps? Yeah, yeah. I love it because I don't have to worry about coins. I can press start and stop. I can do that from my car if I've got it all plugged in. It's beautiful technology. Uh, I parked. And I returned, I I think it was about 10.30, parked for an hour on Ward Street, and I returned to my car, I think it was about 11.35, 11.40, and as I'm returning to my car, there's that beautiful piece of plastic pocket on my windscreen with a pink piece of paper inside. Um, And I get to my car and I thought, really? Five minutes? 
Where I couldn't see the parking inspector, thank you to all the community service unit people that uh, serve our community so graciously and generously um, and thoughtfully. I, I couldn't see the parking inspector anywhere. Um, I think, man, they must have gone in a hurry. Uh, I thought it was unreasonable and I was a little bit unlucky. I opened up the ticket thinking, oh, well, I'll just go past the council officers and I'll go and pay the fine. Then I opened up the ticket. The time said I paid for my parking because I used the Easy Park app, right? So that's pretty clear. Uh, and I uh, looked at the ticket time, remembering I st showed up at 10.30, 10.30, paid for an hour's parking till 11.30, uh, and the time of the fine said 10.35. And I thought, hello. And then I read further. Uh, they had the incorrect number plate written down, the wrong model car, and a different colour. I still went to the council officers, thinking, I'll show you. So I walk up to the council officers, again, thank you to the wonderful council staff at the front desk. And they are great. They let me into their offices because I'm also a chaplain to a Horsham council. Um, um, and then I get there, uh, I think it might have been Andrea on the front desk actually, and she says, I have to go online to fill out the form. <sighs> what? Not only do you have to fill out the form, you have to take photos of your receipts, you have to take photos of your easy part, blah, 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 blah. Like, just, here it is, show me. Look, it's, I didn't have to pay that fine. I got off that fine. Now, I don't know if the parking inspector might have known my car and, sent, and gave me some grace. Um, somehow, I don't think so. Look, while the law gives us a reference point, there is quite simply some people who just don't obey the law. I was talking to an ex-police officer this week and he said 90% of the people are good 90% of the time. It's the other 10% who take up all the energy. 90% of the people are good 90% of the time. See, we've created fences around our homes. We're fined if we don't lock our cars and we're convicted if we break into someone else's car. Work that out. Most of us probably lock our houses. How many people know? How many people still lock your houses? I was going to ask how many people don't. Oh, some don't. Um, it's all right. I'm not going to visit you and see if you're it's all right. But near now, you can carry your phone and you can see who is at your front door from anywhere in the world if you choose to pay for that technology. Because what we recognise is the law doesn't really work for us, does it? The law is important, the law is significant, but the law doesn't really work for us in lots of ways or for 10% of the people. And 90% of the people kind of have to adjust for 10% of the people, it seems. But let's take it a bit more, uh, a different direction. What are the rules for communication now? You know, when you used to handwrite a letter, last week we spoke about handwriting a letter, and you would start a letter very formally. You would have to put the address in the top left-hand side. You would start by, dear sir, madam, or address people by name. What are the rules now? If you received a letter, you would see common courtesy and you would actually expect the guidelines or the rules were that you would reply or respond. Now over emails, we just don't care. I mean, that's a very general statement. 90% of the people do 90% good. But what are the rules around communication? What are the rules around responding to invitations or messages now? Yes, I will say yes until... Oh, something better comes up. 
Most relationships have rules or guidelines in them. Most marriages, most parent-child relationships have rules and guidelines, but it's the unspoken ones that always undo us a little bit. Most marriages get undone because of the unspoken rules that we have and expect to carry. Rules, laws are frustrating and confusing. See, there's the written law and then there's the spirit of the law and then there's the interpretation of the law. How do you figure that? Especially when you're watching football. But yeah, like, don't, don't get me started. Did anyone know that Collingwood won last night? Just praying. A, yeah, anyway, sorry. There should be rules about Simon mentioning Collingwood. Um, see, what we've learnt, despite the rules, and the rules are in place because humanity isn't able to be trusted with honouring and caring for one another. Think about that for a moment. We have laws... Because at the most basic, you and I cannot be trusted to honour and care for one another with a sense of common courtesy. That's a, I mean, that's a, and while laws are useful and they're helpful to deal with the external nature of our lives because they are meant to help us live in relationship, the laws don't deal with the heart. The laws don't deal with the internal nature, the inner response. That determines the external response, the external engagement or connection with one another. This series, if you're new amongst us or you're checking out or you're reconnecting with faith or church, uh, or if you're regular amongst us, we want to look like what it, uh, we want to explore what it might look like to disciple generations and therefore build the church. When we disciple generations from birth, Right through to death, we were the church building, uh, the church being built and encouraged as it's meant to be, as the bride of Christ will take care of itself. And what I want us to be, what I want to invite us into today is to recognize what it is to receive and live out of the grace of God who dwells within us and works in us to bring change and affect change, who transforms us. We're reading through First and Second Timothy and Titus, and that's on the Uversion Bible app, or you can open your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen as well. We encourage you to take notes so you can connect in with your life groups or do your own devotional study throughout the week. We encourage you to read, from, read them through in a sitting or several sittings so that you can hear the Word of God and let it soak into you. But I want us to discover today how the rules actually cause us, the laws actually cause us to press deeper into God through Jesus Christ. These letters are written from Paul to younger generations. Um, he was, Paul was in his older years. Some of these letters were written while he was in prison. Um, and he was encouraging, even urging and imploring Timothy and Titus to remain faithful and true to the good news as they led their communities of faith. Someone suggested that if you looked at the whole summary of Paul, all these letters, he wrote 80% of the New Testament, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Uh, you could summarise Paul in this way. Grace, that is the undeserved gift of God to you. I thank God for you. Hold fast to the gospel. For the love of everything holy, stop being stupid. And Timothy says hi. In this case... Paul says, hi, Timothy. Hi, Titus. So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I think that's a great summary. Particularly point four. Um, 
First Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 11. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We, all know, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers. Do you, like, do you read this text and you go, what must be happening in this community that Paul feels like he needs to make a point of that? To the church. Like, yeah, anyway, that tickled my fancy. Um, for the sexually immoral, for those practising homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. Titus chapter 3. At one time we were too... We too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy. You can see how the internal affects the external, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our saviour. Some translations say generously or lavish, so that having been justified by his grace or made right, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Commentators suggest that these pairings that Paul uses in writing these letters, particularly in the, in the Timothy, um, identify with the commandments that God gave to the people of Israel. And remember when God gives the commandments, the first things he, the, he doesn't say first up, he said, because I am God, these are the rules you must follow. He says, I want you to know who I am. And I want you to know how I see you first. I want you to remember first above everything else that I've actually called you out of slavery, out of bondage, out of oppression, into life, light, hope and joy with me. This is what it looks like. See, I don't think we can read these and um, we get caught up in the rules and the laws. And I want to suggest today that these aren't reminders of what people are doing wrong as much as it is a reminder to an invitation to remember the grace of God, that undeserved gift, that undeserved expression and desire to participate in an honouring, abundant, life-giving and eternal relationship. We know we need guidelines. We know we need directions. We know we need boundaries. They help us function until we lose the relationship because of the law. We would all know families that have imploded because the parents have held on to what they think and the rules they value more than the relationship with their children. 
We all know families that have imploded or have found disunity because we've held on to the rules and what we think is important rather than seeing our children as, as people that we love and nurture and want to raise up in the, in the heart of the Father. And the heart of the Father is one of grace and love, mercy, peace. Sure, our kids don't always behave or respond in the boundaries that we set. But we forget that we too were once kids when we become adults some way. And rules can actually so easily define our relationship with ourselves, with God and with one another. Part of the battle of the mind that Jared was speaking about earlier is because we're wrestling with a sense of what we think should be happening, what we think everybody else is doing and how well everybody else has got it right, that that causes the anxiety within us. Rather than coming into the grace of God and knowing who he is, so we might know who we are first. We hold everyone else to the standard that we think we're being held to or that we think everyone else should be held to. We sense this injustice or unfair because every, others are behaving like this and I'm doing this and I'm being right. And we forget that we were once lawbreakers, we were once ungodly and we all fall short of the glory that God has placed within us. And now we're in a position, the church is in a position where we see these laws and we argue around the laws about what the right and the nature of the laws are and how we should be behaving as the laws. And now the laws are being offered according to the world and the culture around us as reason to ignore or dismiss God and his people on the message that we carry. Because the message that the church has carried historically and at times has been one of rules rather than one of grace and relationship. Now, don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying we don't hold people to account. I'm not saying that we don't have boundaries. We, know, we reckon if we don't have that, we've got anarchy, yeah? If we don't have that, we don't have honour. If we don't have that, we don't have, we don't have a way to participate in a relationship. I'm not saying we throw out the rules and the guidelines. But I can't help but wonder if, we, if, if we're a bit lost at times because we start with the rules and the guidelines by pointing out what everybody else is doing wrong rather than starting with the grace and the goodness of God recognising that I too have once been a lawbreaker, unholy, unrighteous, ungodly. I too fall short of the glory of God, but I've discovered the grace and the goodness of God who loves me anyway and calls me into a meaningful, life-changing life. When I discover the heart of God, the rules make sense. When I look at the rules and live in this box, I can often lose the heart of God. Come Holy Spirit, do a work in us if he's not already. What might it look like to use these guidelines, these laws as an act of grace, as an invitation into grace, recognise that all of life presses us toward the Father, the love of God revealed through Jesus Christ. So as we said, Paul um, is growing old, he's getting old, he's recognising uh, his life is shorter now 
Um, I don't really know how old he was when he wrote these letters. You can do a bit more research for yourself in that. Um, He's in prison because of his faith. He's in prison because he's a guy who once understood the laws and sought to live according to the laws, but has discovered the grace of God. And because of the grace, the undeserved favor, the undeserved gift of love that he's done nothing to do, he's in prison because the empire doesn't appreciate the message that he's proclaiming, the one of hope and healing and restoration and service and grace. It's, he's in prison for his faith. He doesn't sit in the prison yelling at the guards saying, do you know how wrong you are? Do you know how much of a failure you are? Do you know how wrong you're missing God's? No, he sits in prison and he cheers on the next generation. He doesn't yell at the people who are living according to the rules of the empire. He ministers and loves and encourages out of the love that he has first experienced through Jesus Christ. I mean, wrap your head around that. So he writes to the church, reminding them of the imitation by God's grace, mercy and peace. He writes to the church uh, of Colossians. Since you died with Christ, in chapter 2, verse 20, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? So Paul's acknowledging that there's something bigger happening here. Since then, in chapter 3, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's the foundation. That's the motivation. That's the inspiration. So if you're not sure, let me give you a brief picture of who Paul was. Some of us will be familiar, I understand that. But I thought as I was preparing this message, I thought it was important just to capture a few highlights of how significant this testimony from this man is. And if you've been around the church for any period of time, you will know and you'll understand. Stay with me because I want to invite us to continue uh, the journey. And maybe we will identify ourselves in here a little bit. Acts chapter 3. So Paul's name was originally Saul. Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and he put them in prison. And why? Because they weren't behaving or responding or abiding by the law as it was understood in a traditional way or in the Jewish way. He was ruthless, had no fear, zealous. Chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He wasn't that nice a guy. Lord, and, and this is, the, I included this as, a, as an expression of the response. So Ananias is one of uh, the disciples or one someone who has come to faith a little bit later and he's heard this story and he's seen this vision. Ananias has seen this vision or heard this word from the Lord that he, the Lord says to Ananias, Ananias, I've got something for you. Ananias goes, yes, what is it? I want you to welcome Saul into your house. And Ananias goes, no, 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 no. 
Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And the Lord says to him, you'll do it anyway. Not because of the reports you've heard, not because of the laws that you understand, but by the grace and the love of the Jesus who you claim is your Lord and Saviour. That itself is an act of grace. See, I don't, I don't think this takes away the wrestle. I think it just invites us deeper into grace. So that's, that's a brief picture of who Paul was. And he gives thanks as a new creation. And he gives, and knowing who he was, and this is actually what gives power to his testimony. As I read this, I feel like the verses need to be flipped, and I'll explain in a second. Actually, I'll, so first, uh, let, me, let me start here, verses 13 to 14. Read how Paul describes himself. Even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy. I was shown mercy. So I was invited into something and to receive something that I didn't deserve. Or something I did deserve was withheld from me because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. If you're a person of faith and you see people in this world and in this culture who are responding in a certain way, what else do you expect from them? They haven't encountered the grace of God. Have we encountered the grace of God enough that it's noticeable in our lives? Verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength. So despite his power and his authority, despite his violence, that's the indicate strength. But Paul says, actually, I've got something different now. God has given me strength and that far surpasses anything that I've had previously. He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to serve. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness. Wow. What an incredible sense of self-awareness this man has. If you want to know what it is to love others, know what it is to have the love of God in you and to love yourself first. But Paul doesn't just talk about himself, he talks about the human condition. In Titus chapter 3, as we read, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things, not because we have abided by the law as we thought it to be and understood it to be, we had done but because of his mercy. Because God did a work in me. Because God does the work in us. See, friends, the law doesn't change hearts. It's not the law that changes hearts. The law is useful. The law is helpful. It brings some guidelines. It helps us engage in relationship with one another. It helps us honour one another. It helps us treat each other with dignity and respect. But it doesn't change the internal work. And we've all got to choose at some point whether we step into the grace of God and allow his grace, his love, his outpouring of his mercy 
to direct, to guide, to counsel us. Although we continue to live according to the ways that we think. We choose how we respond if we are willing to step in through and into. See, despite all that Paul did according to the law, and I love that actually Paul doesn't dismiss what he used to do. Did you hear that? He doesn't kind of gloss over it. He acknowledges it. I know who I was. Actually, God saw something much more than I ever saw of myself. <laughs> wow. Wow. So many of us in this room, perhaps watching online, we're so caught up in what was once and what was once I did or what was said or what I've missed out on or what has spoken over me. And we, we fail or we refuse to hear and see even the love of God that sees us despite all that, in the midst of all that, through all that, God sees and knows us and longs for us to walk through into the depth and wonder of his love. I just love that the worst of people, Paul, Paul describes himself, I'm not putting that on him, Paul describes himself, I was the worst of sinners and he becomes the greatest of witnesses. That's a, power for, that's a power of testimony. And interestingly, Paul didn't lose his passion. He didn't lose his energy. He didn't lose his heart for others and to see, help others um, to discover God. He didn't lose his zeal. He, but he gained a gracious, loving, bold and eternal perspective. And in this, uh, he writes in chapter 1, verses uh, 15 to 16, when he writes to Timothy, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, those who have turned away from God, those who have stepped outside of God's plans, purposes, stepped outside of his love, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. See, we can so easily live in our shame, our guilt, our disappointment, our fear and judgment. And we judge others as we feel like we have been judged. And we judge ourselves often by how we think others are judging us. Rather than coming into the grace of God. See, the lists that we carry, the rules that we carry, make it easy to point at ourselves and others as the external behaviour. And perhaps it means that we don't really have to you know, be or do whatever God's asking of us at that time. But I want to say to us, take heart because God's grace breaks through, but we have to surrender to it fully. And we have to surrender to it every day. God, what does it look like for me to live in your undeserved favour, grace and mercy? God, what does it look like for you, for me to express your undeserved favour, grace and mercy? And again, that's not mean we become meek and mild and we don't stand up for what we think is right, that we're not people of justice. All of that is important. I understand. But it's got to be lived out of the God's grace first. Otherwise, we're missing the boat. And so are thousands of other people around us. Marriages are missing the boat because we're not living out of a spirit of grace, out of peace and mercy, we are chasing so many other things that previous generations have placed upon us. 
We are stuck in so many things that previous people, people of influence have spoken over us. And we're invited to throw off our guilt and our condemnation, not because of what I do, not because of what the law says, not because of the things that we can tick off as doing right, but because of God's grace. And there's no law that will ever throw off or get rid of the guilt or condemnation or shame that many of us feel. But the good news, the gospel is that God has done the work through Jesus Christ. He has poured it out lavishly. And just to close, I love this statement so early in Paul's letter to Timothy. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. And you think, well, that's the conclusion of his letter. Oh, he's just warming up. He says, let it be so. Now, I wanted to say, say that I felt like this verse for me as I um, read it and as I contemplated over this week, and as I reflected on a number of the conversations that I had last week with people who talked about their ache for their family, their ache for the younger generations, their ache for people who um, don't yet know Jesus, the ache for people as we struggle with our own sense of guilt or disappointment or shame, I want to say, and I think this, these verses quite simply say this, God is not yet finished. I know that time is precious to many of us. We measure time according to the hours, the dates, the birthdays, the plans that we have, the schedules that we want to keep. We measure time according to the hours, the expectations, the clock at work. We measure time as an, a finite thing. This is our measurement of time. I cannot describe to you God's measure of time. And the purposes and the things that he is still working out that as yet are unseen in your mind and your spirit. In your difficult circumstances, your measure, our measure of time is, oh, when will this end? In God's measure of time, I'm doing something incredible in you. For some of you who talked about your ache for your family, God's not finished with your family yet. I know that you want to see your family in a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Well, that often means that we've got to maybe change our attitude, let God do the inner work in us so that our family can see that. <laughs> have our family seen laws and rules or have they seen grace and relationship? Have they seen love, grace, peace and mercy? If we wrote a letter to our families, would they hear that? Would our opening statement being, hey, it's your dad, grace, peace and mercy to you, kids. Hey, it's your mum. I love you, grace, peace and mercy to you. I want to say God's not finished because he is the king. He is on the throne. Throne of thrones. He is above everything else. He is beyond every circumstance, every heartache, every disappointment, every act of, that sticks in our gut as an act of guilt and condemnation and shame. God is in the throne. For you and your family, wherever you might be, wherever you are right now, whether you're ignorant, disbelieving, disconnecting, his love pours out his grace, peace and mercy. For your family, wherever they might be, 
His love pours out his grace, peace and mercy. We can be in a hurry and we are impatient. I know I can be, but I'm working to surrender to the grace of God every day. And it does take some work to stop, to be still, to wait, to acknowledge, to remember that God is still on the throne. And he's revealed himself through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, we can barely comprehend the next five or ten years. When someone says to me, Simon, what's your plans for the next five years? I, I curl up into a ball. Like, where do you want to be in ten years, Simon? Sixty? Oh, yeah. That'd be a reasonable start. It's hard to measure that against God's eternity. I just want to be faithful to God. That I might live out of the grace of God. Consider the opportunity, the joy and the wonder of this time, this moment, the purpose, the calling here on earth, knowing that this time is held in the nature of God's eternity. God is still the king of ages, the only God, and he will outlast any empire, earthly rule and authority. He will outlast and restore any pain. So as our team, invite our worship team to come back up, we're going to declare God as the king of kings. Prepare us for that worship. But I want to ask you, as we ask most weeks, what's your one decision today? What's your one step forward, closer, deeper into the heart of God? Is it one step, one decision as you go home and into your marriage? What's that look like to live out of the grace of God? Not to dismiss those things that he has in store. What if we started with grace? Love, peace and mercy, recognising that's what he's poured into us first. What if we recognised and started with the sense that we too fall short of the glory of God? We once too were all sinners, lawbreakers, unholy, unrighteous. But it is God through his outstanding and overwhelming love he has poured out. What's one decision that we can make to recognise that for ourselves? What's the next step that we will take to press deeper into God's love? Is it a commitment to read his word more regularly? Is it a commitment to stop and sit in stillness or quietness? And maybe today is that moment where you say, you know what, I recognise that I've made this relationship with God about everything else that's not meant to be and I need to come back and walk in alignment with him again. Maybe today is a day where you say, you know what, Jesus, I've fiddled around the edges for so long. I've made it about everything and everybody else and I've made a whole heap of excuses as to why I can't follow you and namely about those other people. But you know what? Between you and me, Jesus, I've got to get right and I've got to make the next step. So as we sing this song that just declares God as the King of Kings, we want to invite you to come forward. You can come forward for prayer over your marriage, prayer over your workplace, prayer over your family. Um, you can come forward and declare Jesus Christ your Lord and Saviour. We want the Spirit to do the work in you, so we'll wait to the end of the song to come and talk to you. But we want to invite you to move out of your seat, come to the front and declare, make a statement of faith that this is my next decision to follow Jesus.